wanted to encourage you to go to the YouTube, uh, or not the YouTube, the Version Bible app, and if you look for the live event, you'll find the message today. But I have a poll question I want to ask you, and we're going to have live results here in a few minutes. So if you have this, I'd like for you to go ahead and answer the question, because we're going to be talking about going. We're going to be talking about sharing our faith. And here are the questions. And number one, you can only choose one of the five, okay? I am absolutely terrified to share my faith. I want you to know if you answer that, that's okay. It's anonymous, doesn't matter. Number two, I get nervous, but I can force myself to share it if I have to. Number three, I feel fairly confident. Number four, I love sharing my faith and seek out opportunities to do so. And number five, I don't want to vote. Okay, so you go ahead, and if you have the YouVersion uh, app on your, on your phones, go ahead and fill that out, and we're going to see where we stand as a congregation here in a little bit. Now, there's a crusade. I don't know if you recognize that it began last year. A certain group of people set on a journey to convert the world to its mission. Now, I want you to know that they did it in the most creative ways. They went ahead and first developed a phone app for their mission. And then they contracted with, they contacted, contracted with Facebook and with Twitter to get people involved. Now, you might ask, well, how did their, how's their mission going? Well, the last report I received, and this was a recent article, is that it's, it's gaining incredible momentum to the tune of 225 million people per month that have joined in to this mission. Now, you might be wondering, how did this mission spread so quickly? Well, I want you to know that this mission spread because one person got excited about the, what was happening. And they talked about it with somebody else, and they talked with somebody. And all of a sudden, even when somebody wasn't talking about it, they would just bring it up abruptly. And all of a sudden, people were talking about the mission. They were demonstrating the mission. And they had it, it was happening all over the place. It's happening out in farms. It's happening in little towns. It's happening in big towns. It's happening in schools. And yes, it's even happening in churches across the nation. I guarantee you, this mission is on a roll. And I will admit that I have been a part of propagating this mission. And I'm going to guess that there is even some here that you have been a part of this as well. Now, I know all of you are saying, okay, Steve, let me know what the mission is. Well, if you can recognize this sound, you'll know the mission. I don't know if you know, but that was Candy Crush. How many people here have played Honest? It's time for honesty now. Raise your hand if you've played Candy Crush. Now, some of you are saying, I have no idea what that is. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. According to Dell Book, which is an article from New York Times, it reports that this game, Candy Crush, uh, done by Sega, brings in $850,000 per day, which translates to $310 million 
per year. Now, I just want, and they have ways that you can buy lives and stuff like that, and it's addictive. And I just want you to know my wife and I do play it, but I want to make it very clear we do not support the $850,000 per day profit. We don't do that. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to learn from this little crusade. This crusade that doesn't make a lick of difference in regards to eternity. There's no redeeming value to this game whatsoever other than it is mindless fun and sometimes a stress release. I say sometimes because when you get stuck on level 70, as my wife and I have been for two weeks now, it becomes stress-filled. Now, it, it, it means nothing, and here's the point. My point is this. If such a useless game such as this can spread like wildfire across our nation, do you not think that you and I, having the greatest message known to mankind, the message of how Jesus Christ laid down his life and willingly gave his life for us, should it not spread organically? Should it not spread naturally? Should it not be a natural part of our conversation on a daily basis? The reality is that we have a great fear in sharing Christ. I know that there are some people, I'm, I'm just, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. If Jesus was right there holding your hand, you still would say, I can't do it. And Jesus would be like, yeah, you can do it. You tell him about me. But we need to get over that. When we talk about what our, our outreach strategy at Mission View is, it's about you and I as foot soldiers for God. We are to go out as those foot soldiers, and what happens 24-7, that is the main outreach strategy of Mission View. But when we come back, we can have the air assault here, okay? If we're talking military terms, we can do the bombing of God's Word right here in this auditorium and have the hearing of it. But you and I become the foot soldiers for God throughout the week. My friends, today I want us to understand what it means to freely give away the message of Christ. We're in this series called The Pursuit. And in this pursuit, we're looking at the commands of Christ and saying, how should we obey them? Last week, we talked about his central message of repent and believe. And now we're going to talk about, we're starting to take apart the Great Commission, and he gives a command, go and make disciples. We'll look at the go aspect this week and the disciple aspect next week. So we're going to look at what does it mean for us to go. How do we obey this part of this command? And my friends, if we learn how to freely give and understand what God has done, then I believe we can make a difference. Now I realize in this room there are those that are new to Christianity. My hope for you, if this is something new for you, is that today you would understand what God has done for you. And that you will see from Jesus himself, the example we're going to look at, what he has done. And for believers that have been believers for a while, my hope is that God will light a deep passion within your heart that you would want to freely give. Now let's take a look at the results of our survey. Let's see if we, we got them here. So we got 10% of people saying, I'm terrified to, to share my faith. 
46% are saying, I'm pretty nervous, but I can force myself. And then we got 35% feeling confident, and then 10%, I love to share my faith, and I'm not certain about the last, uh, the last question. So that's where we stand. This is reality. So let's take a look at John chapter 4. What we're going to do is, since Jesus is the one who said go, we're going to take a look at him and the example that he sets for us in going. And there's an incredible example that's given to us in John chapter 4 of how Jesus set the example of go. Now, he's going to be talking to a woman at a well. Some of you are very familiar with this story, but we're, we're going to look at this from an educational standpoint. How can we learn from the master on how we are to go and to give away our faith? But before we do that, I want us to understand the context here. The first thing is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so the disciples that have started to gather around Jesus, they're kind of rough, okay? They're a little bit rough around the edges because he's picked them up from fishing, from fishing boats and fishing nets to come and be fishers of men. Now I want you to know, he has a blue-collar crew with him. How many of people here work with blue-collar workers, okay? Maybe you are a blue-collar worker. I know when I worked in, the, in uh, kind of the construction world that it was a rough world. I mean, the, these guys are swearing, cussing, and getting their emotions across any way they can. Do you think these disciples were any different? These disciples are in the midst of transformation, they are, they're intrigued by Christ. They're following Christ. They're starting to believe in Christ, but they're at this place looking and observing everything that he's saying. And they're going around with him, and they're hearing this message of repent and believe, and they're understanding this for themselves. Now, I want you to know, because they're rough around the edges, they still have some prejudices, some problems with other people. You see, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And Jesus is deliberately going and talking to the people of Samaria. And they hated the Samaritans. So Jesus will use this to help them. Because later on, after Jesus' whole ministry, after his death, burial, and resurrection, guess what he's going to tell his disciples as he tells us? He's going to say, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you are going to be my witnesses. And guess where you're going to be my witnesses? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. So we better get this lesson straight because I want you to get past these prejudices. So why did Jews hate the Samaritans? Well, it goes back in their history. Back in 70, 721 B.C., the Assyrians came and captured the ten northern armies of Israel, and they took them off into captivity. But some of the Assyrians, who were a very cruel and wicked people, they decided that they were going to live in the land of Israel. And what they did is they took some of the Jewish women and they, they started marrying and interbreeding with those women. And so that be, developed a whole different race called the Samaritans. And because they were a mixture between Jew and Gentile, the Jews despised them. Now I want you to know that Jesus in this chapter 
was traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. And on his way, he had, he had two choices, either go straight through Samaria, which was the direct route, or go around it. He chose to go through it. Most Jews would have gone around, even though it would have taken longer, because they hated the Samaritans that badly. So this is the context. The disciples are with Jesus. They're wondering what's going on. Let's observe. I'm going to make six observations about how Jesus approaches giving away the faith. Take a look at verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter, John chapter 4. And he had passed through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Here's the first observation that we can learn from in our own life. And that is, Jesus does not hold to any social barriers. In light of the history of the Jews, there was an unwritten rule that Jesus was not to associate with this woman. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. That should not happen. But I want you to know that Jesus didn't operate by the social norms or the social rules of that day. And my friends, we have social rules of our day as well. We have social rules all around us. And there are things that keep us apart. Higher management with lower management. Or the, the, the white collar with the blue collar. Or the one kind of community, the middle class community with the upper class. Or the lower class and the middle, middle upper. There's all kinds of divides that live around us. This is the case right here. But Jesus didn't abide by that. You know why? Because Jesus saw people. And when he saw people, he saw people that were lost. He saw people that were empty. He saw people that needed a Savior. And my friends, if we're going to be effective in reaching people for Christ, the first thing we got to do is start seeing people, not with our eyes of social barriers, but with our eyes of a pure love for Jesus Christ. How many of you have an idiot that you work with? Now, if that person's here, don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Now, Brian, keep your hand down, okay? I don't like you talk about Mitch like that. Um, we, it's our tendency just to look at the idiotic behaviors of that person. But, my friends, there's a reason they may act the way that they do. And we need to learn to see people the way that Jesus saw people. My friends, I believe that Jesus would go to any community. He would go to white communities, black communities, Hispanic communities. He would go to the Muslim. He would go to the Hindu. In fact, he told us to go to every place. He would go to the communists, the socialists. He would go to the Republicans, the independents, and the Democrats. It would not matter because Jesus had an as-you-go mentality. And just like we saw last week when he went to Zacchaeus, as he was going to that town... He wanted to share the good news. My friends, wherever we go, 
We don't allow barriers. That's observation number one. Here's the second thing that we learn, and we see it in verse 10. Jesus starts at the point of need. Take a look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, the fact that a male Jew was talking to this woman was a marvel in itself. But Jesus takes it a stunning step further by entering into a conversation that made her think. Made her think. And as she thought about this, as as she thought about what he was saying, she had to be asking, well, first of all, who is this? What is this gift that he's talking about? And what is this living water? You see, this woman who had come to the well to draw water, she may have thought that her greatest need at that point was to get a drink. But my friends, her greatest need was not to get a drink. Her greatest need wasn't to have a man in her life. Her greatest need wasn't to have wealth. Her greatest need wasn't anything but to understand what this living water was all about. You see, as Jesus begins to plant this idea, he gives this question to invoke her, to get her to think about spiritual things. I want you to know questions are a great way to get people to think about spiritual things. Please notice that Jesus doesn't come with a canned methodology. He doesn't start doing something like, uh, do you know that you're a sinner and you have lost your way and that you're bound for hell? Um, and if you give your... He doesn't go. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever learn how to share our faith. I believe we should. But it's natural. It's organic. It's, a, it's part of him just being there and trusting. And I believe we can do the same thing when we trust the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Steve, I'm a new believer. I mean, I can't share right now because I'm just, I'm just beginning. Well, maybe you can only say one thing, but you can say something. You can do as John, as it's marked in John, when the guy that was blind now see, uh, saw after he was healed, he said, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. There are some people that all you can say is, I know I was this way, but now I'm this way because of the difference Jesus made in my life. So this is the second observation. Jesus starts at her point of need. We need to learn from that. Here's the third thing that we need to learn from. Jesus offers water that satisfies. Let's look at this in verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do, you get, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Now, as Jesus does this, we see the, says this, we see the woman's response to him. And as she, as she gets this response, you can tell that she's not grasping everything that Jesus is trying to tell her. 
At first, she's like, uh, you have nothing to draw from. She, ironically, she's the one thinking this man's the one in need. Oh, he needs me to help him to be able to draw water out. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let me set the record straight here. Uh, anybody that drinks this stuff, you're going to be thirsty again. I'm talking about something totally different. I have a water that if you drink, if you understand it, it will result in a spring of eternal life within your soul. It will bubble up within you. There will be something that's a transformation that I want to do in your life. Now, notice she partially understood that there was something exciting here. She's like, i got to have some of this water so I don't have to come draw from this well again. But I don't think she was completely understanding at this point. You know, this woman is a lot like a lot of people today. You ever see uh, on a windy day just a kind of a plastic giant eagle bag that's just floating out in the wind that's just going from here to here? A lot of people are like that. They're kind of going with the wind of society and wherever it blows, whatever's popular, and there's no core, there's no direction, there's no substance to what they hold on to. In fact, the, the fact is the only thing that they really truly believe in is themselves. You see, I see all kinds of wells in society. This woman may have thought the well of relationship, as Jesus is going to address, is going to be her main issue. There are some people that go to the well of wealth, and they think, if I just have the wealth, that is going to make me feel significant. That's what's going to help me. Some people, it's not the well of wealth, it's the well of power, so that they can have some kind of accomplishment in this life. They want to have letters after their name. They want to feel that. There's all kinds of wells in our society, and yes, and sometimes it's even the well of relationships, where we feel like, if I just had somebody that you uniquely love me, that I will feel fulfilled. And I want you to know that what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get her off of her addiction to her crack cocaine. And her crack cocaine was relationships. She had five husbands, and the one she's currently with, we're going to learn, is not her husband. She was trying to get it from that. And our society is an addictive society, and we get addicted to things and what jesus wants us to understand is that there's a void inside of us every single one and that christ is the only one that can fulfill that void i love it when billy graham would preach his messages and when he would preach i know he's quoting somebody else but he would say there's a god-shaped void inside of every single person and the only person that is designed to fill that is God himself through Jesus Christ. My friends, how about you? How have you been trying to find your significance? What well are you going to? And I find, ironically, even as believers, we can go to the wrong well. We get worried. We, get, get, we, we, we stay away from God's word, and we, all of a sudden we're trying to find our significance in things and in people and what have you. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to realize that he is the one that fulfills us completely. How are you trying to avoid, fill that void? Are you filling it with Jesus? Now Jesus, here's the fourth observation, 
He helps her identify this problem that she had. This is what we need to learn. How did Jesus do this? Let's learn from this. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman says to him, uh, Sir, uh, I, I, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers, they, they worship on this mountain, but you say that it's in Jerusalem, in that place where people ought to worship. Now, there's a reason I read that verse, because I think she was getting off topic here. You see, Jesus did something that is kind of shocking. He went somewhere where you're not supposed to go. It's politically incorrect for you to go and dive into a sore topic, especially when somebody has tattered and torn relationships and you know about it. But Jesus goes into this and he asks her about this. And she says, and it's her shortest reply, uh, I, 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 I have no husband. I have no husband. Now, I want you to know that she quickly goes on to the topic of religion, I think that she didn't really want to camp out there. So why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus go and start talking about a sensitive area such as this? Here's the reason. When there's no conviction, there's no conversion. You get that? When there's no conviction, there's no conversion. What was Jesus' central message? It's repent and believe. This is where repentance is seen and where Jesus is bringing it about. He wasn't preaching repent and believe. He was trying to help her understand her need for repentance. But before one repents, they need to come face to face with their own sin. And the reality is that this woman is so much, so, like so many people today, not wanting to face up to their own sin. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been divorced three times, but man, you should see the person I was married to. They were complete morons. Well, yeah, 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 I, I'm addicted to pain pill, but I, I got T-bone, and, and, and that car wreck caused me. It was that guy's fault that I'm now addicted. I mean, yeah, I've had 10 different jobs in four years, but my employers, they have all been idiots. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I live with the girl that I'm with because I'm not going to get married again. You think I'm going to stick myself out there? I'm going to get burnt again? You think I'm going to do that? You see, my friends, until we come face to face with our sins, we will forever go down this relational highway thinking everybody else is going the wrong direction. We need to come face to face with our own sins. It's sad because I sometimes talk with individuals that it's everybody else's fault. And I wonder, will you ever get to the place of seeing your own fault in all of this? Here's my question. Are you like this woman who has had one failed relationship after another? Are you trying to find your significance in a person? It's not going to happen. It has to happen through Jesus Christ. 
For those of you, for the believer here that wants to share their faith, please understand that what we need to do is help people understand the emptiness that they have inside and that that could only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's move on. Observation number five that we need to learn from is that Jesus identifies the solution. He identifies the solution. Look at verse 20. He says, Our fathers, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you said that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus responds to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ, When he comes, he will tell us these things. Jesus said to her, remarkably, I who speak to you am he. Now as I look at this, what Jesus is doing is he is helping her get past the little two-step dance that she's doing to, to, to looking at her own sin. And he is helping her bring the focal point to where true worship is all about. He's clarifying, no, worship really doesn't have to do with Mount Gerizim. It doesn't have to do with being based in Jerusalem. I'm ushering in something new where it's going to be wherever the Spirit of God is abiding. And basically, he's giving, in a sense, a prophetic sense that the Holy Spirit is not going to be limited to a building or to a place because it will be within the hearts of man. He is establishing a kingdom. And the kingdom starts right here where amazingly, when we repent and believe, the Holy Spirit comes and He lives in our hearts and He abides in us directly us, guides us, and he will guide us by spirit and by truth. The word of God with the spirit of God in our hearts is our guarantee that we are going to go the way of Christ and do what Christ wants. He's trying to help this woman understand this. But notice what he says. He wants to get to the main issue in verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Here's two issues here. First, he's saying you really don't know who to worship, how to worship, or where to worship. He's taking off the religious mask off this woman. This woman is so lost and so far from God, and yet she practiced her religion on a regular basis. My friends, there's plenty of people in our society, and maybe you're here today, that for years you practiced religion. You hid behind religion. But if you were completely honest with yourself, you really didn't know who you worship or how you worship or what you worship. You really didn't know. My friends, I grew up that way. I've been in church ever since I was a little child. I was baptized as an infant. I grew up, I went through catechism. And by the time I was a teenager, I was asking the question, does God even exist? 
and I grew up in religion. The thing Jesus is introducing isn't religion. He's introducing them into a relationship with a living God. And that's his whole point here. And what's interesting is that he very pointedly says, I who speak to you am he. She's like, I know there's a Messiah coming. What he's doing is he's saying, yes, life is empty, but true fulfillment only comes through the Savior. Well, how does the woman respond to this? We need to learn from how she responds. Take a look at verse 27. Then, just then, his disciples came back. They kind of missed out on a lot of things. Uh, they, mar- they marveled that he was talking with a woman, with a woman, but no one said, and, and you could kind of see the undertone of the, the Samaritan prejudice there as well, uh, no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Why? Because Jewish guys don't talk with Samaritan women. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that, that they were coming to him. What Jesus is doing is he's providing... What happens with this woman is that she has... She has fell under kind of that aha moment. Have you ever had one of those aha moments where you finally got it? I can remember back in math class when we were talking about binomial theorems, okay, binomial equations. How many of you, when you were going through stuff like that, said, I'm lost? Anybody here, okay? There are some of you that are still lost in regards to that. That's okay. But then somebody comes alongside of you and says, hey, this is what it's all about. I want you to know. And they help you to understand. And then the light clicks on. It's like, yes, I get it. I think that this woman is starting to understand the light is coming on about who this Jesus is. There's a couple things that I see. First of all, she leaves her water jar telling me that she has forgotten about her initial need for water and she has her mind on spiritual things. Second, she goes into town and she invites everyone to come and see everything this man has said about me. Now this tells me that this would be a vulnerable moment for her. Because what she's done in this town hasn't been good. And I'm sure she's had a reputation being married to five and now having a live-in boyfriend. She probably has a reputation. Maybe she's starting to own up to her sin. And finally, she, she's at least painting the possibility that the Christ is right here with us. Could this be him? Could this be him? Now I want to pause at this moment before I come to a conclusion. I want to pause here and I want to ask a couple different questions. Here's the first one. For the person that might be searching for answers, that this whole church deal is a new thing for you, I want you to ask this question. Have I come to grips with my sin and my need for a Savior, my need for the living water? Have you come to that place of saying, okay, God, i am be honest. I know I've messed up with you. And I know that I need you. 
and I need to submit my life completely to you. I've gone to all kinds of different wells, and I feel empty inside. In a moment, we're going to have a time of communion, and we're going to start off with just a time of quiet reflection. I would challenge you, if that's been you, I would challenge you to simply say, okay, God, take me as I am. You know all my mistakes. I am, I am giving them to you. I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I do believe in what you did on the cross. I believe you died. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again for me. I want to submit my life to you. My hope is that there would be some today that would, during this time of quiet reflection, you would pray that. Here's my second question. This is for those believers that need refreshed. I think all believers in Christ that have prayed that prayer, that have yielded their life to Christ, need refreshed on a daily basis. I know that I have problems. Anybody else have problems? Thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone. And when I have those problems, I either face them by my own devices, which I call worry, or I face them with the confidence of Christ. I need refreshed on a daily basis. But there are some here that you've been far from that. Truth be known, as a believer, you've kind of gone into old patterns in life, and you need to come back and be refreshed to Christ and make a renewed commitment that you are no longer going to live that way. You are no longer going to live contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that you are submitting yourself. During the time of quiet reflection, as we have communion, I would ask that you would do business with God before you come up and have communion. And maybe your prayer would be, God, forgive me for wandering away. I'm asking that you would renew me, fill me, and help me to walk in accordance with you. During our time of communion now, we're going to have that time of quiet reflection. I'm going to ask if you have not given your life to Christ, if this is new and you're not ready for that, I would ask that you would wave coming up here. Just observe. But I would also ask that if you are a believer, this is the greatest act of worship, of celebrating what God did. He went. He ultimately went. He came for us. He freely gave And for us to think about us freely given the message that he has given, I can think of nothing more appropriate than for us to worship him by just coming and celebrating the Lord's table. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have four stations, one here, one here, one at the back, one back here. And I'm going to ask that when you come up after the time of quiet reflection, that if you're halfway this way, you come to the front come in the center aisles and then go out that way and come back go back in or if you want to go up the center aisles get communion and go around and use the outside to come in let's pray and let's take a moment of quiet reflection now as the elders and their wives get in place i just want to close with uh, this challenge here it's interesting that as the disciples come back uh, in verses 31 and 33, they basically say, hey, we've gotten some food. It's time for you to eat. And I want you to notice Jesus' reply to them. Jesus said, hey, 
my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are four months and then comes harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See the fields are white for harvest. Now please understand that when Jesus is telling them to look, he's telling his disciples who have had prejudices, social barriers in their hearts and their minds. And he says, look at the fields. And guess what was coming through the fields from the city? It was the Samaritans, the people that they hated, the people that, were, that, that caused them to want to avoid, that they wanted to avoid at all costs. And Jesus says to his disciples with a passion, look at the fields, look at the fields. Do you see them? They're white for harvest. And what he is telling us today as Mission View Church, the fields are white. They are white for harvest. Nothing has changed. You want to know what our outreach strategy is at Mission View? You are our outreach strategy. You are the foot soldiers. And here's what I want to challenge us to do. I want to challenge you to start praying for people. Don't make people projects. Love people genuinely. In your community groups, you're going to be out doing service projects. You're going to be doing outreach type of things. But on an individual base, start praying, if you're not, for those that do not know Christ. Who is it that you're loving to Jesus? Because he says to each and every one of us, look, look at the fields. They're white. They're ready for harvest. At the very beginning of the service, we sang a song. We'll read you the words. The power of your love running through my heart Shame has lost its grip on me. The glory of your cross shining on my soul. Grace has gotten a hold on me. From the rooftops sing. I am not ashamed. As we close out, let's sing that song with all of our hearts and let's go forward seeing the fields that are white and ready for harvest.